Welcome to TD Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, it's Helene Becker, TD Cowan's airline and aircraft leasing analyst here with Kevin Kopelman, TD Cowan's online travel and hotel industry analyst. So Kevin and I work closely together and we like that. We're, we're really fun colleagues. <laughs> and so Kevin and I are talking about how we're ending 2023, how we're thinking about 2024 in the travel space, because I just had a big report come out. I recently had a big report come out talking about what we see happening in the North Atlantic and after after the stellar year we had this year. So Kevin, let's let's bring you in right away. How how are you seeing 2023 end? Thanksgiving traffic was better actually than I thought it was going to be. Our forecast was for a little over 27 million passengers to travel and actually 29.9 million traveled. The Sunday after Thanksgiving was the most uh, traveled day, the, the most number of people TSA screened um, ever, which, which was surprising to me because we hadn't really seen that in November. And, and one of the things we're hearing from some of the airlines is that after Thanksgiving, or maybe that week, we saw a big increase and bookings suggest we're going to have a big increase for the year-end holidays too. So what what are you hearing from from your companies? Yeah, Helene, and and thanks for inviting me on. It's great to to be here chatting with you. If you look at the the hotel industry, particularly in the US, the the numbers have been really stable for going back to second quarter of 2022. You're looking at pretty modest nights growth. So nights actually right around, nights in the industry right around where they were in 2019. The year-over-year growth is in the low single digits on revenue. It's been mostly on pricing. There ha- there just has not been a lot of growth in, in nights. And now we're actually, where comps are now, we're on a, even on a year-over-year basis. It's actually last couple of months down slightly uh, year over year. I do expect you know, we have a few weeks left in the year and, and the hotel companies are also talking about a strong holiday period. So you could see uh, December closing out with a little bit of an increase in growth. But the overall picture, it's actually been kind of remarkably stable. On the one hand, that's that's been good because there was there was concern about revenge travel and things kind of potentially falling off. That has not happened for sure. But on the other hand, as we get more into kind of things going back to normal, you're not having the kind of year-over-year growth that you would have been excited about in the US at least. On the other hand, um, if you look at the global numbers, they are still good. I think it looks, it probably is a little bit better than it looks on the surface if you consider the fact, and I know this is one of the topics you want to get into, if you consider the fact that there has been such a growth in outbound travel to uh, to international. But to get, to get back to your main question there, yeah, very stable and probably expects some improvement around the holidays. Okay. That's interesting. I'll tell you, my travel is back, is back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, I was out of the country every month this year. 
on my preferred brand, by the end of the year, I will have stayed 89 room nights. And that doesn't in- that's my preferred brand. And that doesn't include other brands that I also stay in for conferences and stuff. So I, I don't have to wander around. But I probably am very close to 100 room nights, <laughs> which, is, which is pretty excessive. That's impressive, Elaine. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if it's impressive as much as it's excessive, <laughs> but yeah, doing my best to help your guys out. Well, the CEOs of one of uh, the hotel companies told us that uh, that he had been in a hotel over, over 200 nights this year. That's right. I feel like that's really depressing. I like my husband and I like being home and I feel sad when I'm not. So I, I try to be home on the weekends. But anyway, what about like the... Airbnbs and and things like that are is there a shift away from hotel nights? I, I personally don't like non hotels because I I like the gym in the morning. Most of my status now gets me free breakfast <laughs> or gets me cocktails at night. Not that I avail myself of that too much. But what about Airbnb and and those? Are they taking share away from hotels? They are still growing faster than hotels. Uh, absolutely. So. If you look at the kind of recent numbers, vacation rental industry in the U.S. kind of using the term broadly, nights in the third quarter were probably up in the mid single digits. Airbnb was above that; they they outperformed the overall. So they are growing faster than hotel nights for sure. It's not super dramatic at the kind of levels that we remember from pre pandemic when when that industry may have been growing. 15, 20% year over year or something like that. But they are, they are so in it, in it, in a time when the hotel nights are maybe up one, like last quarter, we're up maybe 1% year over year. The vacation rental nights were up something like mid single digits. Yeah. So that is, that is actually continuing. Yeah. That's really helpful. We, um, you know, it's kind of interesting on the airline side where we had too much domestic capacity this, this year. And so a lot of the domestic-focused airlines didn't do well. The third quarter is normally a time when they would make a lot of money, and they really didn't. And the other thing that we've seen a shift in, not so much away from low-fare, low-cost airlines, but the big airlines, the four big airlines, American Delta United and, and Southwest to a lesser extent, though, have big international components. Southwest has almost no international, less than 5%. But American... Delta are about 65, 35 on their way to 60, 40, United's 50, 50. And we saw the shift as things have opened up because the world opened unevenly away. So to your point about hotel room nights in Europe and internationally, we've seen this shift in demand. And we've also seen people paying up away from the cheapest tickets to um, a better experience, a little more leg room, is is been like premium economy, which what the airlines call it. That's what we've seen. So we're expecting that to continue in twenty twenty four. But the nice thing about airlines versus hotels is my my assets are movable. So if a market is not doing as well, the airlines just pull a service out of the market and put it in a market that has the potential to do better. Versus a hotel, if you build one in a market that's not doing well, you're stuck until it until it performs better. So um, so we're thinking that we're going to see this, this continue to see this shift to international. 
And also, I don't know if you pay attention to, um, if you have to pay attention to passports issued, but we look at passports issued and it's at, there are record levels. So that indicates to us that more people want to travel outside the country. Everybody, you know, air quotes around everybody I know went to Italy this summer except me. <laughs> and that was a, that was a big demand, big demand market. So I, I don't know if you saw the same with hotel nights in that market particularly, yeah. but we certainly saw a lot of demand. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, that was that was the point I was I was starting to touch on earlier. But looking at the US market this year, very stable like we talked about, but you didn't have that kind of next leg of growth. And the other way to think about it is um, you know, we've looked at really long term trends in the hotel industry and it's it's obviously cyclical so it's it's hard to pick out a normal year or an average year because it's it's growing faster than the economy when the economy is growing recovery and then of course it it declines more uh in a recession in the overall economy last couple of big recessions not including the pandemic what happened during the pandemic the u.s hotel industry revenue was down about 20 percent peak to trough and then it took four to five years to fully recover um, on a revenue basis. As we're thinking about this year, the U.S. hotel industry has been underperforming. So the long-term average is that it's growing a little bit faster than GDP, than nominal GDP. And I mean, you saw the Q3 GDP numbers. I mean, Q4 is expected to be a little lower, but the Q3, where the Q3 GDP numbers plus inflation, the hotel industry was not growing anywhere near that in the U.S. in Q3. But on the other hand, the European numbers were way above that. And that was because of this mix to international travel. So as we're thinking about next year, I think there's re- there's actually reason to be cautiously optimistic here on the on the U.S. kind of hotel lodging trends next year. Because even though there's going to be, and I agree with you, there's going to be continued growth in international travel outbound from the U.S., the, the growth rate... It's not going to be on a year-over-year basis what it was in 2022, and it was just incredibly high. So on a year-over-year growth basis, the U.S. industry, if the kind of overall travel demand kind of holds, the, the U.S. industry actually could get closer to that kind of long-term average where it's been at or actually a little bit above nominal GDP. And that would look like an acceleration in the U.S. So I, I think there's reasons to be optimistic for that but overall to your point you have to you have to expect the international the international travel and the european market is actually going to still look pretty good yeah yeah we're thinking that we're just thinking the fares that they were charging last year were pretty unsustainable and we're already seeing that uh, excuse me come down for the for the winter months for sure and some of the markets for summer even this early are lower than you would expect in in airline land, most summer travel is planned between mid March and mid May, and that's when the airlines really start to push up fares to see what they can, how they can maximize revenue on board the aircraft. That's how they think about it: maximize load factor and maximize revenue. And obviously, for the airlines, as we think about twenty twenty four. A lot of the inflationary cost pressures that impacted them in 23 will start to abate. So we had 
huge labor cost increases, for an example, in two areas. We hired more people. There are now more people employed in the airline industry than there were in 2019, and the average salaries are, are higher. We saw 30 plus percent increases in wage rates, and the only group left for most airlines is flight attendants. And they'll get those big increases, but on a relative basis compared to what, on an absolute basis compared to what they, on a relative basis going up more than pilots on an absolute basis, it's going up on a dollar amount less because there's just, they just earn a lot less than the pilots earn. So, so those inflationary pressures are there. But the other pressure the industry has that, that we are concerned about for 2024, and I, I don't know that you think about it this way, is we are short about 4,000 air traffic controllers. We should have about 14 to 15,000, and we have about 10,500. Based on the rate of retirements and on hiring and how long it takes to train one, it, it will take six to 10 years to catch up. So the airlines will be forced to continue to operate fewer seats than they want to. And we're seeing this trend to bigger aircraft, more seats per departure and fewer departures per day. And, and the fewer departures, not sure how that will impact your companies, if at all, but, but certainly because you're just looking at number of people who are traveling, yeah, right to get to to get to your hotel nights? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, the number of air traffic controllers is it growing year over year? I mean, how much of a pressure is this? So the way to think about it is, air traffic controllers have to retire at 56. They're allowed to apply to work one extra year, so they can retire at 57. They're supposed to work overtime occasionally, but they're working overtime all the time. During the pandemic, the government did not train any air traffic controllers for 18 months. They've always trained a thousand a year and about two to 300 don't make it out of the academy and a like amount retire. So you net about somewhere between four and 600 a year. In the current budget for the FAA, which Congress has to approve, there's a budget for 1,400 but they were only able to hire um, around 1,300. And they would like to increase it again to 1,800 for fiscal 20. Let's see, we're in fiscal 24 now. So for fiscal 25 through fiscal 30, they would like to hire at least 1,800 to 2,000. They're also looking at other places that rely on air traffic controllers like the military and offering bonus payments to get them to shift over to commercial. But the problem is, is it takes 18 months to go through the academy, assuming you make it all the way through. And then you get assigned as a controller to an area that's not terribly busy. And before you can come to New York or Chicago, LA, San Francisco, which are busy towers, you have to have at least five or six years of experience. And then you have to move here. And a lot of controllers are re rejecting that as a as a as a career opportunity because even though you do make more money um, you don't make enough to live a comfortable lifestyle in the New York area you would have to commute 
you have to live roughly within an hour to two of your tower because the union requires that you be in the tower to do your job. So when you think about the New York area and where you live, it's very expensive to live here. And um, even though the salaries are in the top 5% of what all Americans earn, it's still not a comfortable living relative to living in the mid-con and mid-continent and and having a different lifestyle, 15 minutes from your control tower, not having to work so many thousands of flights a day. Um, and it's, it's really exhausting. And a lot of them are retiring. So what happened this summer, and again, it, it impacts me more than you, the FAA asked the four big airlines serving New York, American Delta United and JetBlue, if they would cut capacity by 10% through October of 24. So it's two summers of reduced capacity. And we were already down about 10% from where we were four years ago. So think of all the growth you talked about. We've seen similar growth. And especially in New York, where you have a lot of international coming in, and the airlines can't put as many seats in the market as they would like. So you get a combination of higher airfares to discourage demand, and you get um, higher costs because it, it obviously is costing more to handle fewer people. Um, we call it we call it doing less with more, and that's frustrating to people. And most people think that they shouldn't have to pay to get there anyway. <laughs> they think the cost of their vacation doesn't start until they get to where they're going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, this is clearly uh, a headwind. Well, for my guys, less probably yeah. less than for yours. I think from the lodging standpoint, people are going to they're going to take their vacations. Sometimes they go on road trips, and you know we saw a huge increase in that during the pandemic, and I think it's still above trend. So though they will find a way, and uh, the more expensive the flights are, the more likely they are going to want to drive somewhere. At the end of the day. Uh, Having kind of reasonably priced flights and available flights is, impor- is important and it, it is going to contribute to the growth in the industry, getting that, getting that fixed. You know, the other thing that tends to grow or contribute to growth are things like the Taylor Swift concert, which contributed hugely to, to growth in the city she, she visited. A friend of mine went to uh, a U2 concert over the weekend in Las Vegas and they flew in from, from out of town. He said the place was packed and it was, and a lot of people flew in from out of town. So I don't, I don't know how you think about that. Well, a lot of our companies have actually called out the Taylor Swift concerts. Actually. Oh, they did. It was on, yeah, it was in the Airbnb, uh, mentioned it. Some of the hotel companies mentioned it. I think Marriott mentioned it, their analyst day. I can't remember what the rate, I think the rates double. I, it was something like double or triple on the weekends when Taylor Swift was in town. I'm sure that's true. It's really it has to be one of the biggest tours of all time. It, it seems like the, the kind of these huge type of events just keep getting bigger and bigger. I wanted to ask you about seasonality in booking trends because you know this was something that was really interesting. I mentioned a couple of times how stable the U.S. hotel industry was like quarter to quarter this year, at least looking you know taking into account normal seasonality. But uh, in terms of the trips people are taking, it was pretty stable. Didn't look that different from 2019. But the time that people are booking is changing. It's moving towards earlier in the year. And that's happened the last couple of years. So there's just Q1 
has been huge. And this is a this is a big focus for with the online travel companies because they report bookings and, and it's the big investor focus. Q1 has just been just huge the last two years because the new year starts and people, I think particularly with flights being so expensive and with, with popular destinations you're ha- with, with hotels selling out early, people want to find a spot in the place they want to go. It's wishful thinking, but they don't want to pay exorbitant prices. And so they're moving, they're moving earlier in the year. And I think the last couple of years, it's led to probably a little bit of disappointment as, as years progress and what the numbers have looked like. That hasn't always been fully related to like how the stocks have traded through the year. You, you're seeing this really big Q1 and then the numbers kind of, you spend most of the rest of the year kind of being a little bit disappointed in what the growth numbers look like because it's really just people booking earlier. And I don't know if you're seeing that in, in air at all or, or the company's probably, you know, don't talk about it as much. Yeah, no, we have something called air traffic liability. It's on the balance sheet. It's a liability and it indicates future travel. Um, tickets sold this quarter for travel later in the year. And to your point, the first quarter's always been a, a quarter where air traffic liability builds. And the third quarter is always one where it comes down, which intuitively should make sense because you plan your trip. You know, I said between mid-March and mid-May for your summer vacation, so you're planning your trip, you're paying for the air sometime in March or April, and that's first or second quarter. So it would go up for the third quarter and then come down during the third quarter, and then it starts to build again. We are seeing a difference in when people travel. So historically, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday were the weakest days of the week. <laughs> it's the slowest days of the week. And they still are, and they're definitely, and we're seeing more off-peak being down more than it has been historically. So people are traveling more at the peaks. They're traveling three-day weekends. They're traveling school breaks. They're traveling in the summer months. They're traveling over holidays for sure. But then during the rest of the year, what we call the shoulders, they're traveling less. And that kind of makes sense. We went through this period where after the pandemic or while we were still in it as because every everything changed differently. Things opened differently, right? Florida opened and the most of the rest of the country was still closed, then others started opening. And you can't go anywhere, you couldn't go anywhere unless stuff was open, right? What were you gonna do unless you were visiting friends and relatives? So from that perspective, we saw this shift in the way people travel. But as kids have gone back to school and as your boss wants you back in the office, I call it four is the new three. <laughs> Initially, it was like one or two days and it was two or three. Now your boss wants you back four days a week. It's, and if your kids are in school, it's really hard to take them out of school every weekend to go to your summer vacation house or to go someplace not, not where you live. And so we're definitely seeing these shifts occurring. And the other shift is business travel. The trips, most business travel has come back. The trips that you hear airline company managements or other analysts talk about that haven't come back are those one-day trips. You might be able to take a 6 or 7 a.m. flight to your destination, but you can't guarantee that the 7 p.m. flight you're scheduled to be on to come home will actually go. And, and so we see even airline people, <laughs> even airline people, um, we had some out-of-town airline people visiting us the other day, and they were going from New York to Boston, and they were training. And, and I said, why are you training? And they said, because we're concerned that we won't be able to get there. 
that that we we won't be able to um, guarantee an up and back kind of a flight a day. And and so those are the trips where you might only have one or two meetings and you can replace those meetings with a call rather than with a um, with a, with an in-person meeting. So those trips haven't come back and we don't think they will. But as the economy overall grows, of course, business, the number, the absolute number will, will be back. Let's see, we only have a minute or two left. Is there anything, Kevin, we didn't talk about that we should talk about for the for our our travel groups next year? Well, Helene, we might we might have to do a follow up episode. Okay. <laughs> always. It's always nice to work with you, Kevin. I really enjoy the time we spend together when we're in the office. Either I mean both of us with our travel schedule, I guess we don't overlap too much, but it's always nice to see you, and it's always nice to work with you. Likewise, Celine. And thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of TD Cowan Insights.